So Money episode 1251, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everybody. It is Ask Farnoosh Friday, September 10th, 2021. Yesterday was our first day back at school here in New Jersey. I had all the feelings. Parents, you've probably experienced it too. You know, it's the roller coaster of back to school, but it's this added layer of uh, of just this, you know, being home for so long with them and finally releasing them back into the world uh, and the just pure joy on their faces. And I don't remember standing in line with my son feeling sad, but I did start crying uh, as I was uh, bringing him up to the school steps and did not expect that reaction from myself. But I guess sometimes the body just takes over. You know, let's just cross our fingers and hope that the year goes off without a hitch and few interruptions and everybody stays healthy. Just want to give a shout out to all the families and caregivers and teachers out there to say that uh, we appreciate you. We're uh, all in this together and we hope that this year will be better than last. This week, we had some awesome, awesome conversations. I've been hearing from listeners. They've been writing in. They've been so appreciative of this week's episodes. Monday was a rerun, but it was so popular. People were excited that it came back. On Monday, we heard again from Margaret Detweiler, who is the founder of Tonight.com, a platform where Gen X women can share stories. It was really an homage to Generation X and why these particular humans are best equipped to ride out the storms of life. I think that being born before the internet, the analog generation, plus a generation that was young enough to become tech savvy and internet savvy, that foundation is a fantastic skill, life skill, to be able to navigate the unexpected twists and turns in life. And so we spent some good time on Monday talking about Gen X and how they're perhaps more prepared to weather storms in life. And then on Wednesday, speaking about weathering storms, if you're a woman in corporate America trying to climb the ladder, make more money, get promoted, be heard, we know it's not easy. And Stacey Vanek-Smith joined to talk about her book, Machiavelli for Women, providing a new framework for how to defend your worth, grow your ambition, and win the workplace. Stacy and I actually went to Columbia Journalism School together, so it was nice to reconnect and celebrate her new book. It is accessible, it is funny, it is smart and practical, a, an advice book for women on how to apply, get this, the principles of 16th century philosopher Niccolo Machiavelli to women's work lives and how we can finally shatter the glass ceiling. She used his seminal book, The Prince, as a guide to walk us through how to take and maintain power in our careers. It was a really interesting history lesson and also strategy session on how to win at work. Really appreciated that conversation. And congrats to Stacy for the launch of that book. It's called Machiavelli for Women, and it's out this week. 
Did I tell you I went to Chatham last week? I was on Cape Cod for an entire week with my family. Our first real, real vacation, I guess, uh, since all of this shutdown and COVID business. Chatham is a lovely town on Cape Cod. For those of you who may not know, I grew up partially in Massachusetts. I grew up in Worcester, Massachusetts until I was about 14 and visited the Cape from time to time as a kid. Usually we'd go to a motel and swim at the pools. But this time we went and stayed in a lovely small home, what we found on Airbnb that was steps away from the bay. And let me tell you a little secret about getting deals on Airbnb. Two things actually I learned. And I don't know if this is a true hack, but this was my experience. So I found this listing for this cute three-bedroom home on Cape Cod. First, it was priced low because I think that the owner had just bought it and was renovating it still. And so there weren't real pictures to show. And as a renter, you know, you're taking a bit of a chance on a home that may or may not be done by the time that you're reserving your date. I mean, anything can go wrong with a renovation, right? But he was promising that the renovations were going to be done by May. We were booking a week in August. So I thought, okay, that's pretty safe. If anything doesn't work out on time, that's many months to work out the kinks. But as a result, he offered it for below market, significantly below market. I think because it was his first time, he didn't have reviews, the place wasn't done yet. So he knew that renters were taking a bit of a chance on him. Well, it was beautiful. The house had everything we needed, plus more. It was an absolute steal. And here's the other thing. When I went to book it, when I went to book this rental on Airbnb, I was initially using the app on my phone. I hadn't logged in yet. And so when I went to book it, it asked me for my login credentials. And for some reason, my login credentials weren't working. And I thought, okay, let me go to my laptop because I know I'm already logged in on Airbnb on my laptop. So when I went onto my laptop, already logged in, to pay for this trip, the price went up significantly. And I was like, wait a minute, did I just misunderstand the quote for this house? Like, I, I, I don't know what happened. So I went back to the app and figured out how to log in properly. I think I reset my password. And the home was the price that I originally saw it for, which was a lot less than what the website was wanting me to pay. And I thought, is there a difference between what you pay on the website versus the app? Is this a glitch? Is this like some sort of trick or hack? I don't know, but I thought I would tell you and maybe we could figure it out together. I haven't reached out for, into Airbnb for any comments, of course. And I didn't want to uh, you know, raise any red flags at the time because I wanted to get the price that I saw. And if, of course, it wasn't correct, the owner would have probably gotten in touch and said, hey, this was incorrectly listed. But he was fine with the price that we paid. And I'm so glad that I initially found it on the app because that's where I saw the deal. And then when I went on the website, it changed. But I don't know. I'm still figuring it out. But I, but maybe I've landed on some secret Airbnb savings hack. Use the app. Chatham's great though. If you're interested in beaches that aren't super scary, not big waves, a lot of bay beaches in Chatham and across Cape Cod. Great for kids, lots of shops, lots of great eats and really great thrift stores. Tons of churches with basement thrift stores. I found board games for five, $6, just gently used or in some cases brand new. And I got a purse, a nice little fall purse for 20 bucks I scored that looks a lot more expensive. So yeah, we had a great time. Of course, I still need a vacation from that vacation because with two little kids, it's 
It was a nice change of scenery, but it was a lot of work too. Let's be honest. Let's go to the iTunes review section and pick our reviewer of the week. This person will get a free 15 minute money session with me. If you'd like to leave a review, you can go on any uh, podcast player and leave your review, but just know that most people leave reviews on an Apple device, on an Apple podcast player. And so if you do leave it somewhere else, let me know. So I'll be sure to poke around these other players. Uh, This week, we're going to say thank you to Trey, who left a review last week and said that I started listening to this podcast because I needed to get my life together. I'm in my late 20s. I'm single. I have a pretty good salary, but I was basically living paycheck to paycheck. I've honestly learned so much and thought about why I was spending the way I was. This show makes personal finance approachable and understandable. The guests provide so many perspectives on how to use money as a tool to live your best life. The episode with Ramit Sethi especially was life-changing and made me rethink the way I spend. Thank you so much for this. Trey, thank you for this review. We're so glad that the show has made a positive impact on your life. And I agree, Ramit is fantastic. All right, let's go to the mailbag and start with our friend Sebastian who writes in. He says, Farnoosh could really use your help. My wife and I have a monthly salary of about $5,000. We live in Germany. We are moving to a new city where it's very expensive to rent and we'd be paying about $2,000 a month in rent. That's $24,000 a year. Could that money be better invested buying an apartment? Sebastian, good to know we've got some fans overseas in Germany. I'm so proud of that fact. And thank you for listening. All right, let's discuss your question. You're wondering whether or not it's worth it to rent in this expensive city, $24,000 a year. Could you be investing that towards a home, owning a home? You know, the decision to buy a home, I just to start with, I think it should not be something that we do as a knee-jerk reaction to the cost of rent in a city. You know, buying a home, if you've been listening to the show long enough, you know that it's a financial decision that's part of a much bigger life decision that requires taking into account a lot more than just rental prices in your area. The calculus is not just numbers, but it's also what your values are, what you want out of life, what your life requires of you right now. And and all of that needs to be factored into the big decision of whether to buy. I think a big mistake a lot of people make sometimes initially when they're doing the math and trying to compare renting versus buying is saying, well, you know, what could we get for $24,000 a year or $2,000 a month in a mortgage? Uh, But, you know, you got to remember that when you own a home, if $2,000 a month is already a stretch for you to rent a home, $2,000 a month mortgage, that's not where the spending ends when it comes to home ownership at that point. You also have taxes, you have home maintenance costs, and these are costs that you would not incur as a renter. So while it is expensive in your city to rent $2,000 a month, uh, it is not to say that you're going to get a similar kind of home as a homeowner for that price. You might have to find a home that is you know, significantly less from a mortgage standpoint, because once you add on things like taxes and insurance and home maintenance, then you're getting to that $2,000 a month. Uh, so I just want to Start with that because I think you know what you're asking may not be the best first question to be asking here in your scenario. I think the first question you want to ask 
yourself, and this includes your wife and you asking yourselves as a team, is a bigger life or lifestyle question, which is how important is it to our livelihood to live in this city that is so expensive? If you cannot find a place that you are happy with for less than $2,000 a month, to be honest, that after you pay that, that's $3,000 a month left. I don't know what your other expenses are, but that may be a real constraint on your lifestyle and on your ability to save for your future and maybe eventually save up to buy a home in the future. That's something that you really want to do. So thinking about, you know, this city and while it may be really fun and exciting and full of opportunity, do you feel like you have to live here? that living somewhere else won't necessarily provide you with the things that you need? That's a question that you're going to have to answer yourself. I I don't have the answers to that, but this is, I think, the first question that you want to address before you get to the math. And, And speaking of the math, you know, I'd first start with identifying what is that monthly budget for housing that is more comfortable for the two of you. If it's not $2,000 a month, is it $1,500? Is it $1,300 a month? You may not even find that you can buy something with that kind of a mortgage broken down monthly. To accomplish maybe anything at that budget, you may have to move somewhere else. And of course, uh, Germany, just like everywhere in the world, was hit by the pandemic. But one thing that we all had to adjust to in the pandemic was working remotely. And you know, maybe a silver lining to that was that we didn't have to live where we worked. And sometimes when we live somewhere because we have to, because we work there is expensive. Do you have to live in this city? I'm not going to answer whether it's a better quote unquote investment. Not every real estate purchase is an investment. You have to make sure you're buying a home that is appreciating enough where your mortgage plus your taxes, plus your insurance, plus your home maintenance, all the expenses that you put into the home If you go to sell it, you'll be able to cash out at a profit. That's what the investment is. And that's not every home. So I'm reluctant to answer that question, whether it's a better investment. You know, think about how you want to invest in your life right now. Maybe living in this city, although an expensive city, is a city that's full of opportunities for you too. You're going to invest a couple of years here. You know it's going to be a heavy financial lift, but you believe that it will return something invaluable to you, which is an ability to progress in your careers at a much faster clip than if you lived in a city that was more remote, Uh, that you're going to meet people, build a network, and that is a long game. I just interviewed Dory Clark. You'll be hearing that conversation in the next week or two, who's the author of the book, The Long Game. And, you know, thinking about your situation right now, renting $2,000 a month, that's expensive. But if you commit to making this just a short term thing because you believe that it is an investment in your careers and in your happiness, doing this for the short run because it's going to give you long term gain may be a good strategy. But this is the sort of critical thinking that I think is really required before you jump to this idea of homeownership, simply looking at rental prices and saying, ah, so expensive, I should just own and and, and maybe work on building some equity in in a home somewhere. I think that's a real big jump. First, you wanna think about your values, where you're headed, and what it is you really need right now based on where you are in your life and where you're going. 
All right. Shaley wants to know very simply, Farnoosh, what are the best courses to learn about investing? Well, I love that you want to be a self-taught investing guru, Shaley. A couple of the names that I'm going to mention uh, to you, some of the course instructors are self-taught. And this isn't something that we often get to learn in school, how to be good at investing. It's kind of just a skill you have to practice. And I would actually suggest, Shaley, before that you buy a course, you might want to play around with some of these investing uh, games that are free, these challenges that sometimes are run online. I don't know them specifically, but I know that you can do these investment simulations. And sometimes when you go and do a course and you pay for the course, that is what you do in the course. You have a sort of pretend portfolio, but you can actually do this on your own. Before you buy an investing course, you can teach yourself just by following the stock market, keeping a simple spreadsheet of stocks that you theoretically are are buying, you know, you don't have to actually buy them and watch how they grow and how watch how they dip and and try to follow the news and read their annual reports and their quarterly reports to get a sense of why maybe the stock is moving in certain directions and just get, uh, you know, your feet wet that way before you invest in a program. But since you're curious, and I've had these folks on the show, so I know they're legit. Dr. Hans Boat, He is the investing tutor. He's really into crypto, which is not, as you know, my jam. He's very into crypto. And so if you're not, he may not be your speed. But in addition to crypto, he's also really good at just explaining the basics of the stock market. You can go back to actually listening to that episode with Dr. Hans, where he talks about how to understand the stock market analyze a stock. You know, on this show, we don't talk about stock picking as an overall strategy to say, you know, investing for your retirement. But I understand that there's a lot of enthusiasm and interest in the stock market. Nothing wrong with knowing how to analyze a stock. So if you're interested in that, check out Dr. Hans on So Money and his website is theinvestingtutor.com. I also like the investing Latina, Julie Alma Taveras. She's an award-winning bilingual personal finance writer, producer, and speaker. And she got her uh, start in this space by investing on her own and learning about how to invest on her own. So again, she's self-taught. She's been on the podcast. You can get a sense of her if you listen to that episode. But she has programs and downloads and workshops on investing. She's also into crypto, aren't they all? So just know that. But I like these individuals. I think that they are very thorough, they're inclusive, and they make it fun, which is always helpful when you're learning about investing. A word of caution though, and there because there are programs like these that charge a lot of money and they make over promises. You know, they they say they're gonna make you rich, they're gonna teach you the secrets to investing. There's no secret to investing. It's just knowledge you haven't picked up on yet. But there's no trick to this, okay? It's just uh, truthfully picking stocks. It's kind of anyone's guess. But yeah, there are better practices. You know, you can still pick some bad stocks after doing your homework because there's a lot of unpredictability in the stock market. So I just want to caveat all of this with that, that no program, no course is going to make you perfect at investing. And any program that promises that, run in the other direction. Thanks for your question. 
Next is Erica. And she says, hey, Farnoosh, my position at work was recently eliminated, which was a blessing in disguise. I have a 401k worth about $15,000 and I'm not sure what to do with it. Normally, I would just roll it over to the next job that offers a 401k. But I've decided to focus on school full time and invest more time in my business. I might find something part time, but I'm not sure. I only have a Betterment account, and I was wondering if there's something there that I could set up to roll over the funds. Other than savings, I don't have any other investment accounts. Please help. Also, if you have any previous episodes that I should go back and listen to about the topic, I would appreciate it. You're awesome. Okay, Erica, thank you. That was a sweet, kind note. And uh, my simple answer to your question is that I believe that at your Betterment account, and that's spelled B-E-T-T-E-R-M-E-N-T. For those of you listening wondering what that is, it's a robo-advisor, an automated investment platform. I'm sure they've got traditional IRAs there. You can open one up and roll over your 401k into that IRA. So in the past, you were rolling over your old 401k into a new 401k which is one way to do it. But if you're not going to go to a job with a 401k or if your new job doesn't have one, what do you do? You don't let your 401k, your old one sit idle, right? You want to keep it active to some extent. So you can roll it over into a traditional IRA. And I even think you could roll it over into a Roth IRA. It requires an extra step, but you could talk to somebody at Betterment, I believe, about that. They have an, a, a toll-free number. Uh, you can talk to somebody there. That's something that I always look for in a robo-advisor. I want to make sure that there is a phone number where I can speak to somebody who is qualified about these types of things. It should be very simple. They probably have some kind of form you can fill out and they want your money. So they're going to figure this out for you. And I would, so I would encourage you to look at Betterment first. And if you don't like their options, a lot of brokerages have IRAs and you can roll it over there. All right. I hope that was helpful, Erica. And lastly, a juicy question here from our friend Mirek. I hope you're, I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Myrek or Mirek? He says, Farnoosh, I got a quick real estate investment question, but I'm going to tell you right now, it's not quick. I'm going to try to keep my answer concise. Here's the dilemma. He says, Farnoosh, my cousin and I, we've been talking about investing into a multifamily property for a few years now. We've spoken about how we'd split the costs associated with buying and maintaining our first rental property, but I can't help but be wary of whether this is a good idea. My parents have been discouraging me, saying it could severely ruin our relationship if things were to go sour. I would appreciate any insight you may offer. All right, Mirek, I don't have any personal experience with going into business with a family member, but I will say that any business where you have a partner, whether that's a friend, a relative, or a perfect stranger that you met at a conference and you hit it off over a networking event and you decided to go into business together, working with somebody else on a business plan, it can be very difficult. It can be very tense at times. And so you have to be really prepared for that. And not everybody's up for that. It's not everyone's cup of tea. You have to anticipate that when you go into business together, there are going to be ups and downs. There are going to be decisions that you're not going to agree on. So how are the two of you when it comes to making hard decisions together? Have you ever disagreed on something in the past and how was that reconciled? This is the sort of context that would be helpful to you and him before you sign on a, a serious contract together before you buy property together, right? What are your personalities like? You might be both excited about this business proposition, but are your personalities compatible? 
That's really, really important. And if they're not compatible, that doesn't mean the deal is definitely going to go south. But do you have a plan in place for how to make it work when there isn't agreement on something? That how are you going to work through some of your harder moments as partners in this business? And I'm calling it a business. You know, you're buying a property together, but this is business. You know, you both are going to have to manage this and grow this idea. And it's not just managing an idea, of course, it's managing renters and property and all of that and lawyers potentially. My gut says if you're having concerns and you're writing it, I would say, listen to your gut. My gut says, listen to your gut. It, you know, pains me to say this sometimes, but maybe your parents are right. (laughs) Nobody likes to listen to their parents, but they know you and they know your cousin. And this again is not to say that you should never enter a business deal with a loved one. Uh, But if you do, you got to be very clear about what your expectations are, what your cousin's expectations are, play out various scenarios, what ifs. Right now, everyone's thinking probably that it's going to go smoothly. And I hope it does. But ask yourself the what ifs. Go to those dark places. Like what if, what if our property burns down? What if one of us loses our jobs and we can't pay the mortgage on this property? One of us can't do that. What if one of us goes through a divorce and that's going to complicate our business deal? What if uh, we can't agree on who's going to rent the property? What if one of us, for whatever reason, can no longer afford the investment? What if one of us wants to sell out for any particular reason? What if we change our minds in the middle of the deal? Who's going to manage the finances and the bank account and the lawyers and the contracts? Who's going to manage the tenants? So not to overwhelm you, But I think it's always better to walk through these scary what ifs now and these hypotheticals now and understand what your protocols will be if and when these come to fruition. If everything goes well, great, no problems. But I've never heard, and you wanted my insights, I've never heard of a business that didn't have problems or a real estate venture that went extra smooth or really smooth or just smooth. Things will go wrong. So how are you and your cousin compatible and agreeable to be able to ride out some of these storms? If you just heard all of this and you're like, yeah, I I still want to do it. I think we'll be good. Please get an experienced lawyer involved from the very beginning that will create an agreement between the two of you to start that outlines what the protocols will be. Given all these scenarios that I just gave you, you want to manage those expectations from the get-go and get them in writing. You know yourself better than I know you. You know your cousin better than I know your cousin. So I can't make a judgment call on this or a personality call on this even. I'm not going to be the one to tell you that you'll be compatible, that you'll be able to work together and work through rough patches. But take my word, because I have worked with individuals on business plans and business ideas and we like each other, but we're not always on the same page when it comes to how to manage controversy or dilemmas. And it's really hard. And I I don't think I'm really interested in doing it again. I think I like working by myself. And I've learned that about myself. So just be careful, Mirek. Starting a business is hard. Starting with another person can be even harder in some ways. Teamwork, 
doesn't always make the dream work. But if you respect your cousin and you feel like you can talk to him openly about all of this, have him listen to this podcast. Let me be the weird person that gets in the middle of all this and kind of gives you guys things to think about. I think being prudent here is smart. Take your time. Don't rush into things. It might be just my old age. I'm more conservative now than I was in my 20s, but I also have a lot of life experience. I've interviewed a lot of people on this show who've talked about the difficulties, the pains of working with somebody else on a project. Uh, and if it's a, someone you really like love and you want to have a long-term relationship with this person, you know, it's a risk. And so talk to your cousin. And that's a wrap, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Next week, we're going to talk about the child tax credit. If you haven't gotten it yet and you think you should, Definitely check out Monday's episode. We have an expert who's going to talk about, first of all, what is it uh, and how to get it if you haven't been getting it yet. It could really help you out this fall with childcare and, and all those related costs. Thanks for sharing your day with me. And I hope your weekend is so money. 